How many feel Jesus in this place? Can I hear an amen? Amen. I almost went to my knees crying as I was thinking about how much my king loves me. I hope that you make time during this season to focus on Jesus. Get your friends to focus on Jesus because everybody's thinking about Jesus right now, whether they know it or not. Uh, Jesus' name is in the holiday that they're getting ready to celebrate. So let's tell them Jesus is the reason for the season. Amen. Open up your Bibles with me to the book of Jeremiah chapter 1. We're going to get into a major prophet. If you've been with us, we're in a sermon series right now called Thus Says the Lord. And what that means is we believe God has spoken in the past. There's a large portion of our Bibles called the prophetic books. And we as theologians break it into two categories the minor prophets, and the major prophets. Now, when you're talking about the minor prophets, you're not talking about like the minor league team, okay? These guys are pros. But what the theologians mean by minor is smaller content, and what they mean by major is major content. Let me give you an example. Last week, we went over Jonah, and we read the entire book of Jonah. It was four chapters. On average, it was about 10 verses per chapter. That was 40 verses we read. Today in Jeremiah has over 50 chapters, and the one chapter we're going to read has around 40 verses. So to put it like this, we're going to read one chapter, which was the equivalent to one book before. That's why they're called minor prophets, because their books can be read very quickly, a few chapters. Today, we're getting into our first major prophet, Jeremiah. Next week for the Christmas service, come, we'll have our special presentations here, but we'll have a great word on Isaiah. Isaiah is the book where you hear a lot of those famous Christmas stories. Like to us, a child is given, to, to us, a son is given, rather, to us, a child is born, and then another place, he shall be called Emmanuel, and then another place, that's all in Isaiah, he shall be called Mighty God, etc. That's a major prophet, and he's talking about Jesus. Jeremiah and Isaiah have a similarity. They're both major prophets, and they both prophesied before a captivity. Your Bible in the Old Testament was written to Jewish people. Now, the Jewish people were set up to do what was right, but sadly, they kept doing what was wrong, and so God would send the prophets to warn them that they're going to get judged. Isaiah talked about the judgment before the 10 tribes of Israel were invaded by Assyria. And then Jeremiah talks about what the Babylonians were going to do to the remaining two tribes because there was a total of 12 tribes. A little history. Now, what was awesome last week when we learned about Jonah, he went to what city? Where did he go? To Nineveh, which was the largest city in the world, over 120,000 people at that time. But it was the capital city of what country? Does anybody remember? Assyria, thank you. So Assyria was the world power, took over 10 tribes of Israel. Babylon is now the bad boy that's going to come and take over the other two tribes. But here's what God always does. He sends a word to his prophets. So God is saying, I'll do it. I'll do it. Trust me, it will get bad for you. Don't, don't make me do it. I'll do it. But before I do it, let's see if you'll do something different so I don't have to do it. And sadly, they don't do anything different. So I mention Isaiah because I'll be talking about that next week. Today, we're going to talk about Jeremiah. And what makes him unique is he's one of the prophets that actually lives through the very thing he's prophesying about. So he's saying, these guys, the Babylonians, are going to come and take us over. And guess what? He's there when it happens. Now, the people of Israel hated him so much because he kept telling them what they were doing was sinful and they were going to get judged because of it that they threw him in a pit. They persecuted him. His own Jewish people threw him into a pit. And you want to know the ones who got him out the pit? It was the Babylonians. 
And you want to know why the Babylonians got him out the pit? Because they felt sorry for him because everything he was prophesying was actually true. So they show up, take over Israel, and they go, dude, we've been hearing about you. You've been prophesying, telling that we're coming. And guess what? Here we are. We might as well, the least we can do is get you out of this pit. So isn't that sad that the world was so turned upside down in Jeremiah's day that they thought what he was saying was evil, and when he would say the things that he was doing as good, they would not consider it good. They would consider it evil, and then what he was calling evil, they were calling good. Okay, doesn't that kind of sound like our times right now? And we're expecting a judgment to come that can't be stopped, the second coming of Jesus. I always say it like this. He came the first time as a baby in the manger, the second time as a king on a horse. Amen? So no dito Jesus, go get you, get you, go. As he comes down, it's him riding on a horse, busting kneecaps, pushing you down, saying, bow down now, son. Everyone will bow down before him whether they want to or not. Let's just be real honest. Jesus is not having a negotiation with the kings of the world. I, I mean that. He's busting kneecaps. He's putting their face to the dust. Anything you've ever seen, 300, Avengers, any movie you like, times that by 100 and then put 100 times more love on that, that's Jesus coming to judge the world and us going, I can't wait. Because they're scared. They're upset. But I'm like, come, Jesus, I've been waiting for this. Here's the thing. I'm preaching mercy to you now. I don't want you to go to hell. I don't want you to get your knees busted down and kiss the ground while my God comes and walks on you and stomps you like grapes. Grapes of wrath is a real term in the Bible. Blood will be as high as a horse's head for 144 miles, a river of blood. Read the book of Revelation. It will scare the hell out of you. I don't want you to be there. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, Pastor loves us. I love you. I don't want you to be stomped down by Jesus. I don't want you to go to hell. That's why we're going through a series on thus says the Lord, a word from the prophets, because if we can go back and learn from what God spoke to them and put it in our day and age, we can learn the same lessons that God is the same God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Somebody say a prophet to the nations. Amen. I want to teach you about that. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 1. Open up your Bibles with me, please. Let's look at verse 4. You can follow along in the notes as well, online or on the app. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Two quick things we learn right here is Jeremiah gets a word from the Lord that says, Number one, I have known you before you have known yourself. I have known you before your mom and dad got together on one lonely old night listening to R. Kelly. I know you, okay? And then the second thing he says is, is he says, I got a calling for you. Now, what a lot of us have heard this before, but we haven't heard the context before. So let me ask you, how many have ever heard this phrase, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you? Anybody hear that before? It's a popular meme on Facebook. You'll see this verse, you know, maybe, you know, on different things that you'll buy at a Christian store, a bracelet or something, a t-shirt. And so what we don't understand is the purpose behind this. God is not just saying, I know you and that I just want you to feel real, you know, nice on the inside, which is good for us to feel nice on the inside. But he's saying, I know you because I made you for a purpose. I want you to get this. Everyone here was made for a purpose. Sometimes I got to go a little deep with people because in our generation, people just think you're here by accident. And that is not true. You're not here by accident. You were here because God put you here. And though we may not always like what we're to do here or what's going on here, the point is you don't have a choice about that. And you should submit to your God and say, why am I here? 
So instead of saying, I don't like it here, or why is my country like this, or why is my hair like this, and why do I smell like this, and why does my neighbor look like that? Instead of getting mad at everything and everybody, you and I are supposed to stop and go, okay, let me figure this out here. Uh, We didn't make the planet. We didn't make the star we rotate around. We didn't make the galaxy that we're in, nor the galaxy floating around in this universe. So uh, I think I better ask some questions. What are we doing here? Why are we here? And then when somebody answers back like all smart, like this kid did with me when I was preaching at Prosser Friday, and I go, why are you here? And he goes, science, science, you know, like as if he was like so smart for saying science. I'm like, where does science come from? And then he looked at me like, uh, I don't know. Uh, comes from people. But I just asked you, why are you here? You didn't come from a thing called science on Sesame Street. The S didn't get together with the C and then make a little I and a little E and a little N and a little C and a little E. Now they dance around called science. Oh, it was the big bang. It was the big, it was all this. Who banged it? Oh, what banged, right? And I teach you guys these things because they're important because people still don't understand the very first start of this. They don't even get point one. You're here because of a reason. Even unplanned pregnancies, that's why we are pro-life. You're not here just because your parents had an accident or even a rape, God forbid. You're here because God allowed you to be here. That's why we don't kill you. We kill the rapist, Amen. Well, what about rape? Let's kill the rapist. Let's cut him in pieces, amen? Let's not cut the little baby inside of the womb in pieces, okay? People all the time say, well, how can you be a Christian and believe in the death penalty? Number one, my God believes in the death penalty, okay? Like people ask all the time, how can you be a, how can you, be a, you know, a Christian and eat animals? My God loves animals, and that's why he said sacrifice them. Are you listening? He said, he said that cow was a beautiful smelling aroma, so grow up, amen? Put on your spiritual big boy pants and big girl pants. It's a real world out here, and the reason why there's punishment in this world is because you didn't make yourself and you don't get to hurt others either and if you do we'll send you real quick to judgment amen but here's the point the point that's bigger than all of this is that we shouldn't be sassy back to God in the 21st century acting like we can't learn from Jeremiah because it came from a book written thousands of years ago this book is more relevant to you today than the newspaper Okay, and that newspaper has a lot of errors in it. This has no errors in it, and this new that newspaper will shut down, and this Bible will still be here. Amen. Okay, so we look at this. Number one, he says, "I know you. I know you. You are not here by accident. I know you." And let me just go a little bit deeper on the you, because a lot of times people say, "Show me God. Show me God. Show me God." Okay, I'll show you God. You show me you. Let's start with you. Show me you. Oh, here's, here's my hand. Here's my legs. Here I am, dummy. Pastor, you're so stupid. Here I am. Okay, I cut off an arm. Are you still you? I cut off a leg. Are you still you? All these parts you're showing me, I can take them apart. Are you still you? So where are you in you? Where are you there? Can I put you under an x-ray and see the little electrodes going off in your brain? Is that you, that little shooting of an electrode? That's why they put Jews in the Holocaust, because they said they're not, an, uh, they're, they're, they're not humans, they're just animals. Are you just electrodes? Can one race take over another race? Can we kill cripples? Can we, can we kill our old people and say they're good for nothing? Are you just energy floating around in some physical bag of chemicals, a physical flesh bag? Come on, somebody. Where, is you, where are you? The best proof for God is you. 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 Why? Because you were made in his image. And you have a fleshly body, but you are not your body. You are no more your body than you are your stomach. Are you your stomach? You're not your, you're not your brain either. You're not your arm. 
You're not your uh, sexuality. You are a spiritual soul using this as a earth suit. Did you know that you're on a spaceship right now? Did you know that the earth is moving right now? They're in the satellite right now. They see 16 sunrises a day. That's how fast they're moving around the earth. But you know how fast the earth is moving right now? Do you know how fast your galaxy is moving right now? And you know that you are suited perfectly, suited. I'm using that word on purpose. You are suited perfectly for this world. That's why you have the body you have so that you can function here. But you are not this body. When this body dies, you will remain. So let me ask you, where are you? In some ways, you're like a ghost in the machine, aren't you? You've heard that movie. It's a movie out there for some of you, but you might know it. Who cares if you don't? Just listen to the point. You're like a ghost in the machine because you're not this, and you're not this and this and this and this and this and this and this, this, but somehow you interact with this, and you feel this, but yet you feel things that are deeper than this. And so when you do sex, that doesn't mean you have love because love is deeper than sex. Right? And, that, and then when you get money, that doesn't mean satisfaction because satisfaction and accomplishment are different than money and rewards, right? And then when you have friendships and get around people, I have 3,000 friends on Facebook, but only about real 15 friends in my life, right? Because what's the difference? Because they're there, but they're not here. And so what you begin to understand is what God is saying to the prophet is the entire mystery of human life. I know some of us want it deeper than that. I know some of you want it like a spoken word that comes like this, and it's so deep. Before you were in your mother's womb, I knew you. I know we were. I'm just trying to do a spoken word. You were set apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. I know you want it like prophetic like, or, or like poetic, but I'll just tell you right here, this verse will change your life if you get it. Before you were ever you, God knew you, and God made you for a purpose. Now, let me ask you a question. Can I apply what was here in this book to this man called Jeremiah? Can I apply it to you? I'm going to show you how I can right now. Go to Psalm 139, please, verse 18. Psalm 139, verse 18, another prophet, David, is speaking. When David speaks, we should listen. David's a man of God after his heart. David did a lot of awesome things for God. We can trust him. Let's just start saying verse 13. We'll get to verse 18 in a minute. Start in verse 13. Chapter 139 of the book of Psalms says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that well. So let me ask you, can we now say this of you that was said of Jeremiah? You were made in your mother's womb. God knit you together. God made you special. How many believe we could say this about you now? Okay, let me put it another way. Was there anyone here born outside of a womb? Did anyone here come from a test tube? Has anyone here been created by robots? Okay, has everybody come through the womb? Okay, let's just make sure you're up. You came through the womb, right? Through your mother, okay? The Bible says he knits you together there. See, this is where you make the, the atheist look like a fool. I love atheists, but they're foolish in their thinking. Science did it. Science did it. You mean science did that? Once again, what is science? Science is only discovery. Just because I discover gravity, that means I did gravity? Oh, man, come on. I, I discovered the iPhone. I bought one. That means I made it? Are you listening to me? 
I, dis- I discovered Mount Everest. You know, does that mean I made Mount Everest? This is stupidity in, in, in intelligence. Intelligentsia uh, hides its stupidity with its education and with its titles, and yet they can't answer the first thing. My friend, if you can't tell me why you're here, you can't tell me what to do now that you're here. See, I understand why science works. I understand why Christians develop the scientific method. I understand why Christians develop universities, Harvard, Princeton, Yale, all Bible colleges, all of them. I understand why we develop hospitals, because we understand we are made in the image of God, and it's important to help sick people. Animals eat the sick people or just let them die so there's more food, right? I'm making tracks right now so when I go out to Wright College, I can hand them out because I'm preaching there on Mondays right now, and I have one called The Evolutionary Dilemma. Here's the evolutionary dilemma according to Charles Darwin. If we came from monkeys, can we trust a monkey's mind? That's Charles Darwin, not me. Charles Darwin came to that point because he figured it out. He started off here as a creation of God, went to Bible college, started studying God's creation, and then he thought he found out a way to get around God, and then he began to think, well, maybe I came from the goo through the zoo to you, and now I'm just a product of evolution. And when he got back up here, he asked himself, well, if that was true all along and I was just an evolved monkey's brain, how can I trust the monkey's brain? Because I got the monkey's brain through evolution, no guided design So that means we could all be seeing things in a different color and only ones that are alive are the ones who see it in this color and the ones who can see it in the real color have already died because evolution sifted them out and now we're all seeing things that should be red but we're seeing them blue because all the people who saw red and blue correctly have died. And maybe we were supposed to have 10 arms but now we only have two arms and all the 10 arm people die. So I'm only left with what evolution has left me with and evolution doesn't get guided by truth. Evolution gets guided by survival. And so then what you had come directly after that was the slave owner's best friend. What you had come directly after that was the socialist and communist best friend. You know what it's called? Eugenics. It's called Darwinian sociology. Welcome to the world of animals. Now we can enslave people because they're closer to the animal. Now we can rape people because they were just animals. Now we can kill 50 million of our own people in the gulags or in the Chinese communist nations because they're just nothing but rats on society. Now we can do eugenics and, and we can literally, we can literally circumcise, not, not circumcise, but we can, we can take away the ability to bear children from minorities and sick people and poor people. Read about Margaret Sanger. Eugenics. Google it. Everybody, don't look at me. Google eugenics. Google it. Google it. Google it. You got your phones. Don't act like you don't. Google eugenics. See if I'm making stuff up. Go ahead. Look at it. Eugenics. Not the word circumcised. What do you call when you can't give when you take away somebody's right to have children? What do you call it? Sterilize. Thank you. What does eugenics say? Somebody read it out. First line in it. Go ahead, sir. What does it say? Boom. Everybody understand eugenics? Eugenics is breed is controlling breeding. We'll help you out, buddy. Eugenics is controlling breeding for the betterment of society. If you are not wonderfully made in your mother's womb, prove eugenics wrong. Prove it wrong. Because if eugenics is right, how many of you have parents with cancer? Now we Now we sterilize all of you because we don't want any more cancer handed down. Prove it wrong if you believe in evolution. Prove it wrong. How many of you have diabetes? Sterilize you. How many of you can't see right? 20-20 vision is lacking. Sterilize you. Prove it wrong if you believe in evolution. Give me one reason why we can't do it. 
Oh, because the government said, you sissy? You evolutionary sissy? The lion doesn't ask no government for permission. You're a lion. Do it. Show us another Hitler, you evolutionary sissy. Hey, you say you believe it. Now, thank God they don't because we'll send them to meet Jesus. But they don't live by their worldview, do they? Oh, I believe in evolution. Do you eat your neighbor? Oh, no, we've evolved past that. Says who? Have you ever studied what's in man? Good nutrients. <laughs> what do you think you're made out of? You're not made out of bricks and stone. You're made out of protein, fats. How do you know you don't taste good? Have you tried it? See, see this kind of preaching makes people mad because all they want me to do is tell them Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible tells me so. They don't want me to preach to their school. They don't want me to preach to their professor. You don't want me to preach to your politics. You don't want me to preach that because that's, that's not what you came to church for, right? But that's what I came to church for. You see, I came to prove to you the Bible applies to your life right now. You know and I know there's good and there's evil. And you don't put that in a laboratory and test it. You know and I know that you're more than a body. Because some of us have had big bodies and little bodies. Some of us started off as lit, now, now we're bigger. Did we grow in value when we became bigger or smaller when I lose weight? Do I lose, because I lost 60 pounds. Do I lose 60 pounds of value in the world? You hear that saying, wait, you're worth your weight in gold. No, we're not. We're not even close to worth our weight in gold. What you're worth is Jesus dying on the cross for your soul. You want to see how serious God takes you, the you inside this space suit called your body, this earth suit rather? You want to see how God takes you? Look at the cross. That's how serious he took you because when we separated ourselves from him at the Garden of Eden and evil came into this world, he said, I am coming back for you. I am going to rescue you. So every single one of us should be able to believe what David has said. You created me, not just Jeremiah, but me in my mother's womb. I praise you. Look at this because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Go back so everybody can see it. Thank you, right there. It says, your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And you guys may think I'm crazy and this may sound like a Saturday night live skit, but for real, I look at myself almost every morning and I go, I am fearfully and wonderfully made as I look in the mirror. I go, that's who I am. You know why? Because I don't always feel like it. I don't always feel like it. I don't always look, at it, look like it. But I have to remind myself, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And you know what that word fearfully would mean in our like English? It would mean like I'm awesomely made. Have you ever thought about just what you are, not only just spiritually but also physically, like how all of these parts work together and how God made your organs to function and how God enables us to have experiences in life? All of these things, if you look back into the beginning, the first book of the Bible, Genesis, that he made us for, he made us for sexuality, he made us for eating, he made us for, for having dominion and wisdom. The Bible says Adam named all of the animals. I mean, this is just amazing that we get to do this. And the Bible says, we should know that full well. Go to that next part of the verse. I know that full well. So can I tell you what I believe is the reason for suicide being so high in our culture, loneliness, depression, anxiety? It's because we don't know that very well. 
I read all the best books on psychology, psychiatrists, the TED Talks I have to do as a part of my doctoral studies, all the trauma research. That's a new word right now. I'm studying all about trauma. I'm telling you, I get it. I get it. There are natural causes to our pains and mental anguish. I get it. But can I tell you the solution? Know God and know how he made you. I'm telling you. Uh, that will save you $400 this week from going to the next doctor. Come on. I'm just telling you. I'm being real honest with you right now. If you know who God is and you know how he made you, you know how he made you. If you understand how he made you, you and I can understand why we react and feel the way we do. A lot of what they're teaching right now is self-narrative. It's how you talk to yourself. So say, for example, two people go through the same trauma. What makes one healthy as they go through it versus one who's unhealthy? It's the narrative they give themselves. And so a lot of the people from old timers have always said this. It's not what happens to you. It's how you respond. Okay? There's truth in that. So you could have the same two family members lose their mom. They go go to the funeral site, they bury mom, one turns the alcoholism, becomes distant from the family, the other one gets closer to the family, has better things going on in their life. What's the difference? They both lost their mom, okay? What made the difference was the one understood death is a part of life. Mom was here for a time. I'm going to keep mom's memory alive. Mom wouldn't want me to be an alcoholic. See, the narrative they tell themselves, the way that they see it is how it now gets displayed in their life. The other one says, I'll never have my mom again. What my life is going to be terrible. I'm going to be so lonely. I can't handle these thoughts, and they hide them with alcohol. You see, it's the self-narrative. So what is the self-narrative? What is the story? Narrative meaning story. What is the story we are supposed to tell ourselves? I am a creation of God, fearfully and wonderfully made. I know that well. I know that well. Okay, so let's just talk about things that we know. Okay, how many of you know stuff on your job? Can I hear an amen? How many know stuff about your family, your wife or your kids or your mom or dad, young people? How many know that? How many know how to make money and spend money, okay? How many of you know the purpose of God in your life, right? I talk to guys all the time. They can name you all the players of the Cubs. So what? What does that do for your life? My, my daughter can name all the 12 dwarves. So how many dwarfs there are? Seven dwarfs? How many dwarfs are there with Snow White? They can name the dwarfs. They can sing the, you, you can sing Take Me Out to the Ball Game. They can sing the song from Frozen. I'm, I'm being honest with you. A lot of sports fanatics are, are sports fantasies. They're living out an unfulfilled life in the sports player. They, they see this as an unfulfilled thing in their life, and they like it. Now, is there anything wrong with playing sports? No. I love to play it, and we can get com competitive together. Trust me, I'm just as competitive as you are as a dude. But here's my point. I don't care if you know this much about the Cubs. So what? So what? What do you know about the God who made you? Because let me tell you something. When your wife is cheating on you, they ain't letting you in for free, Jack. They're going to be there. Take your money at the door just like every other time. And they're not giving you any Cracker Jacks for free either. But you'll walk through these doors every time for free, sir. And you'll meet a person that's speaking these words to help restore your marriage. That's why I get tired of people saying, these preachers make this, these preachers make that. Okay, be one and show me how we're supposed to live then, you hypocrite. Because you give all your money to this entertainer to waste their money on the stupid things they buy and the stupid things these sports stars buy and the stupid things these entertainers buy. But you have a problem with the place that says, come one, come all, and learn about why you're made. 
This is better than Tony Robbins. I'm not supposed to self-motivate you for $250 to find a better job in life and like yourself more. I am teaching you to know the God who made you. That's what we're here to learn. We're here to learn about this. And I'll sit right down because you know what? We get visitors here all the time. I'll sit down right there and you won't know me from the preacher to the person that's sitting down. You don't know me. I don't look like a preacher. I'm no different than you. Are you listening to me? Do I look like I'm a preacher? Come on, somebody. If I could be here in shorts today, I would. I would wear shorts and chanclas every day of my life if I could. If I could fake tan, I would. I used to fake tan all the time, and I said, people are looking up to me. I need to stay, stop fake tanning. Jim Tan and Laundry, man. I could be the Chicago Shore for you right now and go to my Italian roots, pump my fist. I could do that. But guess what? It would mean nothing. This is how we have to know it, guys. Yeah, you want to know sports? That's great. That's fine. I know stuff too that's just a part of life that I do for fun. We're all here on planet Earth. We got time to, to do things we enjoy. God loves it. That's awesome. That's great. That's great. But here's my point. How well do you know this compared to everything over here? And I'll just talk to the ladies because I was picking on the men with the sports. I don't know about you ladies, but these, these makeup videos are mesmerizing to me. Y'all like them because I'm your friends and I'm just scrolling, you know, and all of a sudden I'm like, really? She did that. How did she do that? I'm like, honey, check this out. I have turned my wife onto more of these videos than she probably wants me to. I'm like, look at how she did that. And then they got the next one and then the next one. And then before you know it, I have burned this past. I'm being honest. I'll confess it right now. I've burned like 30 minutes of my life watching these women put on makeup. I've watched them. I know their technique. My wife's so ashamed of me right now. Yes, I watch makeup videos. Yes, yes, you know this, Huda, and these other women that are out there, Huda, yeah. These women, yeah, I'm telling you, I watch it. I know them. You, you keep up with them, and you know all of this. But my question is, how much you know God? How much you know what you're here for? How much you know your purpose? Because guess what? You, both of you going to the job tomorrow. Okay, a non-Christian's going to the same job that you're going to, but what's the narrative while you're there? What's the narrative while you're there? See, if you go there as a Christian, you see it all through the lens of the Word of God. It doesn't matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter if you're like my father-in-law, came here from Greece, is now retired as a school janitor. We're celebrating it January 18th on a Friday, his whatever, 30, 40 years of work in this country. No, we're celebrating it. It didn't matter if he was a janitor or if he was working at Brock's Candy Factory there on Cicero. His worldview, the narrative he told himself came from this scripture, and he said, I know it very well. That's why he didn't have to go on depression medication, though he worked in a factory all day. That's why, he didn't, that's why he didn't have to, you know, go see 10 counselors when things didn't go wrong, uh, right in his life. You know, I'm not saying that your problems aren't real. I'm just saying there's a real answer here that can spare you from a lot of the pain after your problem. Maybe you can't control the problem. I get it. I can't control half of the problems I have in my life, and I'm looking at a lot of them right now. I can't control you. I can't control. I would love to see you here every week, but I can't control you like a little remote control car and bring you here. So what am I going to do with all these empty seats? And I would like to see this one filled with so-and-so in my head, and this one filled with so-and-so. What am I going to do? Am I going to go home today and cry over it? I may. I may. I have before. But, but what I'm going to do today, because I'm doing it right, is I'm going to say, I don't know about that. I don't know what's going on in their life. I 
don't know why they're here, why they're not here, why we're not a bigger church, faster growing church, all of these things. But I'll tell you what, I know full well God made me. And God has a purpose for me, and I'm going to stand on this pulpit, and I'm going to preach it every single week as if there was 10,000 here. Amen? And we are a growing church, and I'm happy for that. Thank you. Both services are almost full right now, so we may have to go to a third service. Amen? Put in a 5 o'clock service here or something, so it's exciting. Who y'all get happy, all you young people? You ready? Amen. I'll be yawning around worship time. Oh, 6 o'clock. I should be in my pajamas by now. What are we still doing at church? Look at the next verse. It says, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths. Somebody say, I was woven together. See, you were made together, woven into depths. You were, you were sewn together, in other words. And then the Bible says, watch this. The Bible says, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Do you know that God had the last page of your book written before you ever experienced your first page? This is not just about Jeremiah anymore, is it? All we had to do was start with Jeremiah and learn a principle. God knows all of us before we were born. Now, here's why I got to be, you know, take it down a notch and go slow right here because a lot of you honestly would say, if God knew the first page and the last page, why did this part suck so much? Why did my dad do what he did? Why did my parents do what they did? Why did, why did this, this happen, this part happen? And so a lot of people get hurt in life, and then they look at God, and then they blame God because they'll hear a scripture like this, and they'll say, if you knew it all, and you're all powerful, why didn't you stop it? And then that's where we have to go. Uh, look to the cross again. He's telling us what went wrong. What went wrong was we chose evil in the Garden of Eden, and now we have the choice between good and evil, and that's what's happening all throughout life. So God had a choice at that point. After Adam and Eve sinned, he could have erased all of future humanity and say, no, nope, I'm starting over again. I'm going to make robots. I'm not going to give them a choice of good and evil. Or God could say, I'll let good and evil play out because whatever is evil, whatever is wrong, I'll fix it and use it for my good. So that's an answer. Whether you like it or not, that's an answer to why a good God allows evil. Now, my thing would be back to you. We don't have to debate here in public. We can discuss it afterwards or in your life group. You know, you don't have to feel intimidated, but you can push back and we'll, we'll go there with you because the only other thing you can say back is, well, I don't like it. I mean, that sucks. You know, I mean, he, you know he's God and he did this and he said he, he allowed this rather, but he says he's going to make it for good. I don't like it. I just wish it was all good. Here's the biggest problem with that. You're here now. So listen, it doesn't matter how upset you are with your creator because if what I'm saying is right, you being upset is not changing anything. It's not. It already happened and it's wicked and it's evil. So you becoming an atheist doesn't erase a dad who abused you. Let's be honest. You becoming an atheist doesn't stop the Holocaust from happening or happening again. As a matter of fact, if we rewind back to the beginning of this service, if you take away God, you've actually just taken away the belief of evil because now we're all animals and it's not wrong for you to get abused anyway. Think about it. Because if you're mad now, you're getting abused, and then you come to the conclusion, there is no God. Who's sticking up for the lion that just got eaten by the other lion? Who cares today about the ants down here doing what they did? Have you ever thought about how you are on this planet, in this galaxy, in this universe? You and I are less than ants. 
and we're complaining about what ants do to other ants. So what is the answer? The answer is found right here. You, you had the book. And so that means whatever wickedness has happened, you're still in control, and you're giving me a choice to finish this with you. Because then a lot of people say back, well, if he already knows who's going to heaven or hell, why does he go from Adam and Eve and the whole human history and then judgment day and allow it to play out? If he already knows the end of the game, why doesn't he just go from Adam and Eve and then everybody gets created in heaven or hell and he just goes, well, I knew you would choose it anyway, so there you are. Why does God let it play out even though he knows it's going to happen? Because listen, God knows our decision but never forces our decision. So just because God knows what I'm going to do in the next two minutes doesn't mean that God made me do that in the next two minutes. God is allowing it to play out because I am very much in the world right now making these choices, but he's still very much God knowing the end and the choices I make. So there's never a surprise when I choose to have pepperoni or sausage with God, but God let me choose. So in the end, when I get punished for my sins, I can't say, well, you knew it, and you knew I would do it. He would say, hold up, hold up, hold up, Joe. Did I make you snort cocaine? Did I make you do crystal meth? Because brother Ricky didn't. Why did you do it? Created both of you. He had the same nose, the same kind of friends. He made a choice to listen to his mom and stay in school and do good things. You dropped out. You see, if I would have died as an 18-year-old drug-snorting kid, I had nobody to blame but who? this guy. Because even though God knew I would do it, I made my choice and Ricky made his. So you can't get out of this either way. He's got the book. He knows where we're going. He knows the front page to the end page. And the Bible is saying it can work for our good. And even the bad things we don't like will work for our good if we love him. Romans chapter eight. Can I hear an amen? You saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Okay, so let's just be real. You don't have to say amen. You don't have to even nod at me. I'm okay if it gets quiet right now. But let's just be honest. How many of you, it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, how mature you are, starting with me to my wife in the back, everybody in this church, how many of you at times have forgotten how much God cares and loves you? I mean, come on. I I, I love the amens, but I'm just being honest. I don't need them right now because I know it's all of us. You know what God tells us we can do at those times? God gives us permission to take a vacation at the beach. Some of you may have to just be an hour vacation, and it may have to be at a beach that's frozen down there at the lake and some stuff floating on top. But he gives you permission to go there. And you know what God tells you to do? To go there and pick up a grand, a grain of sand and think about a thought that he's written about you or said about you in the word, and then to do that again with another grain and another thought and another precious promise he's given you and do that again. And the Bible says he'll have more thoughts than there'll be grains of sand at the beach. (sighs) Were I to count them, God, they would outnumber the grains of sand. So let's be honest. Is it really God's fault that we're dealing with what we're dealing with today? No. No. It's how we're dealing with it, isn't it? It is. 
It's whether or not I'm meditating on those thoughts that he has given me as like grains of sand. They are enormously vast. Or if I'm meditating on all the problems that I have, all the people that don't like me. As I taught before on suicide, this, the, the thing that the 13-year-old girl who got bullied that takes her life has in common with the 60-year-old businessman who just went bankrupt and jumps out of his building. There, you know, he lost all his money in the stocks and jumps out of the World Trade Center or whatever or Freedom Tower now. What's, what's the thing that the 13-year-old and the 6-year-old have in common is they're not counting God's thoughts. That's it. Just, just get right to the point. What is suicide? What is addiction? What is turning off your life from God in a hundred other ways? You know, suicide being the most extreme. But what is it in every single case? It's saying, God, I don't want to think about what you think about me. I want to be the God of my thoughts and think about me the way I think about me. And I think I'm too fat. And I think I've made too many mistakes. And I think I'm unlovable. And I think that I deserve the abuse. And I think that nothing will ever change. And so that's all that matters, God. And what God is saying to us, starting with the prophet Jeremiah, is there is not one person on this planet that cannot say they have not been fearfully and wonderfully made or does not have a seashore of thoughts of God to count. And then this last part that the psalmist says is so beautiful. He says, when I awake, I am still with you. Have you ever thought about just how dangerous sleep really is? Your body pretty much shuts down. Do you know you could die in your sleep if one of a million things went wrong? All you, just think about it. All you have to do is stop breathing for around three minutes, you're dead. Something could just fall in your mouth, you're dead. All, all that has to happen is your heart has to stop beating just for 30 seconds to a minute, and you're dead. You're gone. Have you ever thought about how complicated your brain is when you sleep? They are just figuring it out with REM, rapid eye movement, all the scans. That's why they're saying the, the most important thing you can do for yourself is always get good night's rest. It's so important. And all that needs to happen is just a couple things in your brain misfire and you have an aneurysm, you have a clot, or you something shuts down. The old timers who didn't know much about science would think of coming out of sleep as literally coming back from the dead because that's what it was like to them. It was that mysterious. What is going on? Because when you look at someone, they almost look dead when they're sleeping. And, and, and you think about when you are sleeping, you are at your most vulnerable. Now, not only could you die if 101 things go wrong, if you have made your spouse upset, you could die for 101 reasons in their head. They could be upset for the way you talked to them that day and then just put that pillow right over your head. You wouldn't even know what to do. The strongest among us could be killed by a child putting a pillow over our head. Most of us would not even be able to fight back because of how quickly we would lose oxygen to our body going into shock. Nobody's going to kill anybody now, are they? Amen? You guys are going to love your neighbors? Okay. But you notice, happened that fast. Happens that fast. So here's the point. Look at, look at this, guys. David says, this applies to everybody who's truly a Christian. When you go to sleep and you are in your most vulnerable place, God is right there next to you. And when you awake... You can say like David, man, I'm still with you. You didn't leave me during that time of vulnerability. 
And you know what's amazing? Is the Bible actually uses the term of sleep, that that is the best example it gives us of dying, and that we don't have to be afraid of it. Just like how when your body is shutting down for the night and you just kind of go to sleep, the Bible says that's what happens when your body actually dies. And there's no fear because you can say right back, I'm still with you. I've crossed over to that other side. I've come out of this earth suit. I'm now in this spiritual realm, but it feels like I just woke up on the other side. The depths of this Bible are incredible. I hope during this sermon series of listening to the prophets that I've encouraged you to see yourself in the story. So let's go back to Jeremiah chapter 1. It's a really simple application. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 4 says, The word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and I hope now that I've proven to you, does God knowing us in the womb just apply to this awesome prophet named Jeremiah, or does it apply to everybody? Who does it apply to? Everybody. Now watch the next part. And I appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. Everybody saw that, right? You see it? Okay, go to Acts chapter 2. Because do you think prophets are only for certain times and certain places? Or do you think everybody can be one? Everybody can be one. Can everybody be a prophet in the New Testament? Yes, watch this. This is so amazing. Acts chapter 2, Peter is starting to preach. It's the beginning of the church. Pentecost is where it started on a Jewish holiday. And you know what Peter does? Peter takes a minor prophet by the name of Joel, and he says, hey, this guy Joel talked about something that would happen. I'm telling you now it's happening. Go to Acts chapter 2, verse 17. We'll start in verse 16. It says, no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Who's the prophet's name? Joel. And he says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on how many people? On all people. Your sons and daughters will what? Come on, they will what? They will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Do I have any sons or daughters in here today? Okay, is there anybody here that's not a son or a daughter? We don't have to get into that discussion right now, but I will pray for you afterwards. Is everybody here a son or a daughter? Yes, then guess what? All sons and daughters in God's kingdom now prophesy. What do prophets do? They see we're learning. They prophesy. The warning comes from the prophecy. The prophecy of a prophet is thus says the Lord. What does the New Testament prophet prophesy? What God has already said. Listen to what Moses talked about in the Old Testament. I'll just tell you the story. Moses was a prophet to the people of Israel, and what that meant is he had to speak what God was telling him to speak to make judgments and to make the proper application of the laws to the people. And then it got too big and too busy. Jethro comes to him and says, you need help doing this. And God says, Jethro's right. I'm going to put the spirit that I have on you, the Holy Spirit, to other leaders in Israel. And then they're going to be able to be prophets and leaders with you. After this goes down, they have themselves a mini Pentecost because that's when the Holy Spirit came in the New Testament on all Christians. But in that time, it was just on the leaders. But here's something neat that happens. During that time, Some of Moses' guys see a few others prophesying and making applications, but they weren't at the Holy Ghost party. 
They weren't there when it went down. And so what the dudes say is to Moses, should we shut down these guys over here prophesying? They caught the spirit somehow. We don't know. Should we tell them to stop because they weren't with the original bunch? And Moses says one of the most prophetic things you can ever hear, some of the most beautiful words. He says, no, I wish to God all people were prophets. And that is what Joel was prophesying as well. One day, the idea of hearing and speaking for God will not just be for certain special ones, prophetesses, there were female prophets as well, but it will be for all sons and daughters. So go back to Jeremiah, and let's see if we can make some application. Are you guys tracking with me today? Come on, somebody say a prophet to the nations, because that's what you're called to do. Let's look at it. The word came to Jeremiah and said, I formed you in the womb before I knew you. Does that apply to you too or just Jeremiah? That applies to you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Now, does that apply to you or is that just Jeremiah? That applies to Jeremiah because guess what Jesus said after he resurrected from the dead? Matthew chapter 28, he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples of what? The nations, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So you and I in the last days are supposed to be prophets, voices for God to the nations. I thought that was going to get a better amen, but... That's why I'm up here. I'm working hard today, I guess. I'm going to say it again. I don't mind putting an OT for you guys. The Bible says when Jesus raised from the dead, he gave all of us the call to go to those nations and make disciples. How many are ready to do that? So, so here's the deal. This is where it gets exciting. The prophets are not just historical figures we learn about. They're actually ones we now imitate. So this is not just like learning about Abraham Lincoln. Learning about Jeremiah, it's not just like learning about Abraham Lincoln because how many of you guys are going to do emancipation type things? How many of you guys are going to start a civil war? How many of you guys are going to lead a nation? None of us, right? None of us. That's, that's not us. So we're not just learning about historical figures going, well, there's some character things we can learn, you know, honest Abe or, you know, these kinds of things. No, what we're actually supposed to do is go to these Old Testament prophets, connect it to the New Testament and go, oh my goodness, those are our people and they're our mentors and we're now supposed to do what they did. We're supposed to go into the world and preach the gospel. Let me show it to you quickly. Go to Mark chapter 16 and then somebody say, we'll get to the message because this is just the introduction. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, hold on through the introduction. Don't get bored in the introduction because the message is even better, okay? Go to the last chapter of Mark, Mark chapter 16, and just hear the call for all of us to be voices of God's word to this nation and to the nations of the world. Look at verse 15. He said to them, talking to the disciples, go into how much of the world? Go into how much? All the world. Thank you. And preach the gospel to how much of creation? All creation. Now go down to verse 19 because he tells them all the signs and wonders that will follow, and we're still seeing these signs follow today. Verse 19 says, After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven. He sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached how many places? Everywhere. And the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. 2,000 years later, is the word still going forward? 2,000 years later, are disciples still being made? Then we need the call of the prophets again, don't we? We need the call. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 23 for the message. I think I can make the message a little shorter than my introduction, but be, please be patient because I believe it's going to change your life. 
If I was to summarize the entire book of Jeremiah, it would be chapter 23. Now, this passage of Scripture is very important to me because Jeremiah chapter 23 is the passage of Scripture my mother had in her heart. If you scroll down, you'll see it, sir. Jeremiah chapter 23 was a passage that my mother was reading when I was a high school dropout on drugs, and God said to her, that's for your son. I want you to get this. I am on drugs, I am partying, I am wasting my life away. I had previously ripped up my Bible out of rebellion in my mom's house, kicked a hole in the wall, rested eight times. I belonged in jail as a criminal. And my mom's reading the Bible. She gets to this passage, and it not only speaks to her that God will do something good in Joe's life and he'll be a Christian, but it goes one step further. (laughs) Dude, I will cry right now thinking about this. And what I put her through. I'm sorry, mom, for what you went through. Not only it said to her that her son would be a Christian, but that her son would be doing what he's doing right now. Isn't that God? Dude, that is so God. Because if she would have looked at the natural, if we would have had cell phones back then, you know, this is like 93, 94, 95. If she would have just turned on FaceTime, it would have been the exact opposite of everything she was hearing from God here, but yet she believed it, and it's the heart of the message. I'm getting my doctorate now. I've gone further in Bible education. I I get to teach my mom all of these wonderful things, but there's something she teaches me from this passage, and that's to have faith that God can do it, to have faith that God can do it. What is the it? It's changing lives. What are we supposed to be prophesying about? We're supposed to be prophesying the word of God that gives people a new life, that changes their direction. And I know right now, I know our church is mostly 20 and 30-somethings. I get it. We have a lot of teenagers here. It's like 60% of our church is, is, is under uh, between 20 and 30, and then the other 40% is uh, under 18 years old. Okay, so like 14, uh, 40% of our church is children and, and teenagers, and then the 60% of our church is pretty much all around, you know, 20 or 30 years old. And I know a lot of us here, you know, I'm 41 now, and I turned 42 in a, in a month or so, and I know all of us here are, like, so used to this now. Like, we're, we're just, we're, we just look around the world, and we go, yeah, that's just the way it is. We hear the reports on the news, and we go, yeah, that's just the way it is. And we don't understand, like, it doesn't have to be that way, and it wasn't always that way. Like, do you guys get this? I want everybody to get this. Do you understand there was a time when children didn't have to go to schools with police officers there? Like, do we understand that? Do we understand there was a time, and I say this to the black community because I'm in the black community so often I started preaching there. There was a time that the black community was stronger than the Anglo community when it came to marriage and divorce and raising their children? Now more children are aborted in some black communities than are born. More children are now born into all of our cultures outside of marriage than in marriage. This wasn't the way it was. And I'm not saying like the good old days of Americanism or something. I'm just saying like just the basics have gotten uprooted and and corroded and eroded. You know, corrosion and erosion is the words I'm thinking of there. I think you get my point. And so I'm going to read this quickly. And as we do and get ready to roll out of here, I want you to get the message because you're called to make the difference. Because everybody that's upset with racism, you tweeting on 
the keyboard, being a justice warrior is not going to change it. What's going to change it is what we're going to hear right now. All of you upset with immigration, what's going to change it? It's not just you shouting out a bunch of epitaphs on Facebook. It's going to be you believing this. Okay? And everybody here that doesn't like the gangs and thinks they should all just go into a corner and kill each other, this is the answer to that. And all of us who don't understand why there's wars in the world and specifically with ideologies like Islam and communism and all of these things, this is the answer. I don't know how else to say that and make it more important. Those of you who don't like corruption in your politics, this is the message. This is what we do when we get the opportunity to be in front of them. So when I was in front of Alderman Marino, who was preventing Chick-fil-A from coming down there to Wicker Park, and I was trying to get some spaces around there for a church, and I knew the kind of wicked man that he was, he asked me, what are my beliefs about homosexuality and stuff? Because that was where he was drawing the line, whether or not he was going to help businesses come in there, and that's why he was against Chick-fil-A, even though they treat everybody the same and hire everybody and love everybody. Just the fact that they have a worldview that says we're Christian, close on Sundays, didn't even want them to come into Wicker Park. So he's talking to me and he asked me what kind of Christian I am. And I'm saying, the one that believes this. Looked him right in the eyes. We debated for the next half hour. And he still gave us the ability to use the property. You know why? Because I said to myself, to hell with trying to win a favor with you. You can't be with me there on judgment day. So I don't care if I get this building or not. I'm going to sit and argue with you right now about homosexuality in the Bible. You know why? Because I believe this more than I fear you. So let's go. You want to talk about, talk all day about it. And then we said we would switch books, read them, and get back with each other, and he never did. Amen? That's why I haven't found a right politician yet. Still praying to meet that one. So I want to meet them, amen? Because a lot of times people say, they'll help you, they'll help you. Well, I want to give them some help. Repent and meet Jesus. I don't need free garbage pickup. I don't need tax-free whatever over here, another benefit. That's already given to me by my founding fathers. What I need you to do, sir, for me is repent and serve Jesus. Amen? Tell your alderman that. Tell him I said so. <laughs> oh, man, sassy preacher. I got nine minutes to make this message make sense, and I got 40 verses to read. How are we going to do that, Jesus? Let's go to chapter 20. Let's go to verse 11. Let's go to verse 9. Let's go to verse 9, please. It says, concerning the prophets, my heart is broken within me. All my bones tremble. I am like a drunken man, like a strong man overcome by wine because of the Lord and his holy words. The land is full of adulterers. Because of the curse, the land lies parched. The pastures in the wilderness are withered. The prophets follow an evil course and use their power unjustly. Both prophet and priest are godless. Even in my temple, I find their wickedness, declares the Lord. Therefore, their path will become slippery. They will be banished to darkness, and there they will fall. I will bring disaster on them in the year they are punished. Somebody say, hoo-hoo. Come on, that's a heavy revy. God's going to blow stuff up because they're not doing it right. And I can point to every major issue in our country and every other country of the world is because of that right there. The church fails, the government fails, the people fail. I'm going to say it again. The church fails, the government fails, the people fail. Why do you think we're supposed to swear on a Bible and not the cat in the hat? Right? It's because you're supposed to fear God, sir. That's when you take your oath, you fear God, now we trust you. You don't mean this, now we can't trust you, right? Everybody look up at me. Why is every country trying to get here? Why is every country trying to get here? We just had uh, dear friends of our church in the first service just get back from uh, Guatemala. Beautiful city, Guatemala City. She said it was beautiful. She said, but corrupt. 
Why are they corrupt? Because the church ain't right, the government's not right, the people aren't right. It's the same thing everywhere you go. Why is every nation dealing with the problems they're dealing with? The church is not right, the government's not right, the people aren't right. We all shake our fist at Trump, the President Trump, and we say, we don't like this about him, we don't like this about him, and then I follow your life on Facebook, and you look like a mini-Trump. You're trying to pick up just as many girls, you're talking just as dirty, you're trying to make a buck with the hustle, you're trying to get ahead, and it doesn't matter who it hurts. I wasn't even close to Trump's level, but Ricky and I were trying to do some real estate, and I was talking to some guys in real estate, and I said, man, can you just give me some advice? I'd like to know some advice. He said, why would I do that and you become my competition? I'm only looking out for myself, Jack. You tell me your job is any different. Let me meet your boss. Bring him here. They're all dog-eat-dog. They're all looking out for themselves. And then the Bible says the church is no different. You're expecting to see something different in the church, and it's the same thing. It's pay to play. Let me do another conference. Let me get another concert here. Let me convince you another 20 different ways to give me $1,000 up here. And then let me preach to you something that doesn't confront your worldview. Let me tell you something nice. So I'll be your Tony Robbins motivational Oprah Winfrey Soul Sunday preacher so you keep coming to my 10 conferences a year. And then these preachers go from each other's conferences, each making five dollars to $15,000 per preaching engagement. Come on, somebody, say, God, help us. Let's just keep going. It gets a little bit more worse, but I got to bring it out before we get to the good and close in here. Got six minutes. Help me, Jesus. Look at verse 17. Let's go to verse 16. Start at verse 16, please. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Somebody say, thus says the Lord. That's what it says in the King James. That's where we got the name of this. This is from classic English. You know, thus says the Lord, the Almighty says, do not listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They fill you with false hopes. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. Does everybody get the problem that we're in right now? Everybody's just making up stuff to get you to buy it. They just make it up now, man. People have told me, oh, pastor, there's churches now that accept gay, lesbian, transgender, and lets them do X, Y, and Z. Well, we'll accept you here, but we want to see you changed in Jesus' name. Just like we accept the liar, but we don't want him lying anymore. We'll accept you as gay and all of that, but we want to see you become who God made you to be. So they go, oh, man, that's so mean. What is mean about that? I am asking you, what, well, don't be my judge. Do I have to be the judge to read what the judge wrote? Do I have to be Judge Judy to tell you what Judge Judy said when you went to the bathroom? Hey, when you were in the bathroom, Judge Judy did this. It was so funny. She really made him look bad. Do I have to be the judge to tell you what the judge said? Do I have to be a police officer to tell you what the law is? You shouldn't wave that gun around in the open, sir. You shouldn't be drinking that in the middle of the street, sir. You shouldn't cross the street like that. I mean, do you have to be a law enforcement judge, politician to know what a law is in a country? No. Do you have to be the judge of men and women's souls to know what the commands of God are? So let me ask you a question. Do you want more false hope or do you want the word of God that confronts your issues? See, that's what you and I have to go do now, okay? Because it's got to matter to us to actually tell people, um, dude, I know that sounds good. Like Beyonce Mass, have you heard about Beyonce Mass? They put it on Facebook. She actually had a mass that they did. Anybody know what I'm talking about, Beyonce Mass? You can Google that later. I know that sounds fun for you Beyonce fans to have a mass dedicated to Beyonce, but that will give you no hope. It's a false hope. 
Everybody pay attention up here. Excuse me, sir. I know the church down the road that's cool with your pornography addiction makes you feel better about yourself, but that is false hope. Ma'am, I know the church down the road that says it's cool if you divorce your husband and just get remarried and say, oopsie, we made a mistake. That's cool. Not to say divorces can't be forgiven, but I know you want to just hop to the next one because you fell in love with your boss or secretary or whatever. Ma'am, I know you think that's good and that preacher likes you, but that's actually a false hope. And the Bible says they were eating it up. Just like, just like, run to the American border and it will be better for you here. Come on, Latinos and Latinas. How much better is it for your children right now? I was talking to this woman from Guatemala. She said she, her family visited here and went right back. Some of you are losing your families here because you wanted this, and now your children are in the gangs, now they're in the drugs, now they're questioning their identity. You are better off in a village wearing whatever you had, eating whatever you had, than to try to run here to try to get an American dream that became an American nightmare. Because the people that I've grown up with, uh, grown up with that look like me, that have all the privilege, most of them are going to hell right now with their college degree and their middle class dream. But hold on. That's assuming you actually want God more than a middle-class dream. Oh, it's quiet when I preach like that because I think some people want a middle-class American dream more than they want God. See, some of us who grew up there, can I, just, can I bust that idol in front of you? Because some of you are like, you don't know what I've been through. Well, you don't know what I've been through. Having three pools in my neighborhood, golf courses, uh, tennis courts. Okay, can I tell you something? A friend on my block committed suicide. Blew his head off. Yeah. It didn't change. Just, wait, what do you think? What do you think three swimming pools does for your children? Okay? Let's, let's go through some more stories. I don't know if I convinced you. Another one of my friends on LSD walked off a cliff. They found his body three days later in the river. You know, he was there with all of my friends doing LSD. My friends, having a golf course and a five-bedroom house doesn't change this. I would rather be in the village of my friend who's from Mexico, Chilapa, Nayari, watching the goats walk up and down a dirt road and know who I am and know my God than to try to think some American dream is going to save me. Now, if you can have both, go on and get you both. But understand this. If you think you're going to change something by you changing a location, let me tell you something. When you get to that location, guess who's still going to be there? You. Okay? So let's care about some things more than just an American dream. Amen? Because some of us who have already had it, have already realized it turns into a nightmare without God. Matter of fact, I don't know too many of my friends that still have their mom and dad married, and I'm 41, and some of my friends already who haven't died and haven't you know, seen the crazy life, the ones that were good, that went to you know, University of uh, um, U of I, not U of I, it's here in Illinois, IU and Purdue, my friends who went there, already divorced, already divorced. Come on, somebody, don't lie to yourself. Get God. Look at this. Let's go to this verse. Verse 30, and I'm going long. Please forgive me. Let's start in verse 28. Let the prophet who has a dream recount the dream, but let the one who has my word speak it faithfully. For what has straw to do with grain, declares the Lord, is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. Will you come up here, uh, please, Vinny? Let's get ready to close out. Can I just ask you something? Are you going to trust the word of God to break in pieces the lies of this generation, or are you going to let your heart become hard as rock? Because that's your two choices. You either become that which God breaks and softens and changes, like like a hammer hitting a rock, or you become the rock 
that becomes hard in your heart. And then on judgment day is punished for the things you did. Because I'm just going to be very honest with you guys. I love this nation, but I am scared for this nation. I am scared for it. I stood out at Wright College Monday. I went to Prosser Friday. I was preaching the gospel to some of my neighbors uh, in my community. I live right by Barrington. Some of you know that. It's one of the most wealthiest neighborhoods in Chicago. I'm not wealthy. I'm just saying I live by that neighborhood, okay? Uh, Guys, there is no hope for us here without Jesus. Sometimes I just wish I could take each one of you to the hope you have and let you see what it looks like when it falls apart. Like I wish I could talk to the 30-year-old right now that's really in the middle of the two kids and the life and just, and just take you to the, to, the, to the place my dad lives right now in Ocala, Florida. He retired in the Del Webb community. Sounds amazing, right? Like you, you retire in Florida? Dude, you're awesome. Uh, you know, they drive around in like pimped out golf carts. All they do is play golf all day. It's like 70, 80 degrees all the time. I mean, you know, of course, in the summer it gets hotter. Dude, my dad talks to them. You know what they don't? The one thing they don't want to talk about is dying. Think about that. You're 70, 80 years old. What do you think right now as a 40-year-old, as a, you know, 18-year-old, however you guys are, what do you think you would want to talk about? Like death, like what's going to happen when you die? My dad is out there with them, golfing, and he says to them, Bob, man, what do you think's going to happen after you die, Bob? And Bob goes, come on, Jim, let's just play golf. Come on, man, come on. Let me, let me take this metal rod and hit a little ball on this green grass, put it in that hole, because that's what gives my life meaning right now. Let me, let me distract myself. Yeah, let me take some of you 30-year-olds to the, re- to, to the retirement community, and let's see where your dreams end up. And then let's go one step further Let's go to the assisted living then when they can't do that anymore. And by the way, that's where I got my call to do what I'm doing today was dropping off pizzas. After I became a Christian, I was driving pizzas as an 18-year-old kid, and I went to a nursing home to bring some pizzas to the, to the nurses' aides, to the workers there. And as I was coming in with the, the pizzas, I saw an old woman, man. She had to be like 90 or 100 or something, and she was like wheeling over to me, and she was like, oh, can I shake your hand? And I was like, sure, you can shake my hand. And I was going to shake her hand, and the nurse's aide was, was like, don't touch her, don't touch her. She's crazy. She'll bite you. That's what they told me. And I go, first of all, you don't know what crazy looks like and where I have been. This is not crazy to me. I will definitely shake your hand because I have shaken a lot worse than this, and I can take the risk of getting bit. And I shook her hand, and I go, Grandma, Jesus loves you. Here I am, an 18-year-old kid, no gray hair, you know, skinny, 18-year-old kid. Jesus loves you. I give the pizzas to the, the mean nurse's aide. And, you know, all nurses aren't mean, you know, but you know what I'm saying. So I give them the pizza they pay me. I go into my car. And God instantly speaks to me. 1996, so it's not way back then, it's 1996, I get a word from the Lord that says, I'm calling you now to reach out your hands to the hurting of this world because all will end up like that. And I want you to reach out and tell them about my love. And if people try to stop you, you tell them they're worth it. Where was the first place I pastored? New Orleans, Louisiana, worked in eight different housing projects. White boy from a small suburb in Indiana 
God called me to work in one of the most deadliest, dangerous neighborhoods in the country. And I started reaching my hands out. And then what did people say? What you doing in that neighborhood, man? The police don't even want to go back there. I met a firefighter. One of the most racist people I ever met in my life was a firefighter that said, all them ends need to burn themselves down. I wish I never had to go to their projects one time. God is my witness. Kept reaching out my hand, reaching out my hand. Then I come to Chicago, start a church. Where's one of the first places I started preaching? Belmont and Clark. Started reaching out my hand. And what did people tell me? Man, we don't, we don't go to Belmont and Clark. Pastor, what are you doing? You, they might think, you know, Pastor, they might think. I'm like, so what? So I can't tell you how many times I was hit on, felt good about it, then said I should correct that and get, keep moving on. But I was like, okay, Pastor, be looking all right in your mind. I know that's not funny but funny. But I was like, okay, thank you for the compliment. I'm not here to do that. Let me tell you what I am here to do. And guess what? Guess what? I went to Humble Park. And this brother will tell Ricky's getting a lot of attention today. Amen. I love it. But guess what? Ricky will tell because I can name their names. They were his friends in the church I was working at. I said, I'm going to Humble Park. And guess who were the loudest ones to tell me not to go? Puerto Ricans. Man, I don't even go there, Pastor. What'd you do? Pastor, leave them alone. And I said, listen, I'm not going there to go party with them. I'm going there to go tell them about Jesus. Every place I have ever been giving the word of the Lord, it's always exactly the same. I go to Wright College, a snowflake professor got up all in my face, all in my face. What are you doing here telling these kids this? You, you intimidate them. I'm like, first of all, what world are you living in, dude? These college students intimidate me, man. These guys uh, could beat me up. There's tall ones, you know, whatever, like strong ones. I'm like, dude, I'm not the dude that's intimidating. But you know what he was saying? It was intimidating them as I was telling them about heaven and hell. I guess it threw them off. I have no idea. But he said, you shouldn't be doing that. Guess where I'll be tomorrow? I'll be right back there at Wright College. And I double-dog dare that, that cowardly snowflake professor to let me come into his class equal time, and we'll see what those students say after that. Because what can you say to this? Amen? They can argue, but we'll see. Am I a hero? No, I just took the word at, it, at its word. I took it serious. So here's the question. Where are you going now? Because God knows you, and God has a plan for you, and it wasn't just for me, because here's the deal. I can't do this by myself. And there's people that you're supposed to reach that I can't reach. So do you see yourself as a prophet to the nations? Because the nations are all around you. Where this brother lives, he's running his house from a man from India who's a Buddhist. His job is to bring the gospel to that nation. Also, as a living, he's a carpet cleaner, employing a lot of the young adults in this church with four different trucks. They are to bring Jesus with them. You, you may say, man, I'm just this, I'm just that, I'm too young, I'm too old, I don't know how to do this. Nobody does. All of us have to trust Jesus for this. You think it's fun for me to go into the African-American community and hear everything they hate about white people? You think I love going to Pulaski and Madison and having them yell the most racist things I've ever heard in my life? I literally had an African-American woman tell me she believed I was the product of a demon spawning with her people years ago. 
I had a woman even visit our church. It comes from the nation of Islam. That's where they get white devil from. They literally believe we're, we are the creation of angels having sex with original black people. That's how they came out light-skinned. It's because of the demons and, and them. And I don't know how it makes sense to them, but that's what they say to me. I heard her say that to me. I laughed out loud. She got mad and said, why are you laughing? I said, how can I count the ways to why I'm laughing? I said, number one, I'm standing here in your community because I love you. Your response back to me has nothing to do with the Bible but a fairy tale. You think I'm a demon. If we would have ever said that to you as the preachers, the whole entire place would be in a riot. So it doesn't matter how racist you are to me, I guess. And then I said, the other thing is you're smoking a blunt while you're talking to me about me being the, the, the offspring of a demon. And then I said, you're not even understanding what this Bible said. God loved the whole world. So ask yourself, why do I go there? Do you know that this past Friday I preached to more young people than any youth pastor in this entire city? About You right there, TJ. Come on, shout amen louder, sir. 300 kids probably walked by us that day, heard us preaching. Probably about 20 or 30 stopped. Who cares how many stopped? I can't make them all stop. I wish I could, but I was there. Where are you? Talk to your neighbor. Talk to your friend. Talk to people that don't like you. Forgive them. Just look past their idiocy and love them. And guess what? I came back there the other day. Sadia was with me after she called me a white devil. And I was talking to her friend. And he was like, man, I get you. You actually are out trying to do something good. And I'm like, thank you. Thank you, dude. I mean, what? I mean, come on. We're here because we love you. I know your friends may not always get it, but will they understand you love them at least? How many of you got unsaved family members you're going to see for Christmas? Amen. I mean, they may not agree. You may get into an argument. Fine. It's okay. But you let them know you love them, okay? Let's all stand up and give it up for Jesus today. Let's be some prophets to nations. Y'all ain't going to leave me hanging out here, are you? Let's get band and altar workers to come. I'm not going to be alone, am I? Are you guys going to come out with me and preach? Are you guys going to represent Jesus to this community? Amen. See, because you know what I love as we're getting ready to close out? I love it when I'm out in a neighborhood like the, the west side and then TJ gets on the mic. And Nancy even noticed this. You know what Nancy noticed? I will cry again thinking about this. Nancy said, I bet you they love hearing you say amen while they're preaching. What was that, boo? Lauren. Lauren said that. Thank you. And I never even thought about it like that. But I was struck with that in my heart because y'all hear me preach every day. And then when it's their turn to preach, it's my honor. It's my honor to see Cielo's high school club. What club are you leading up? Let's give it up for Taft High School Christian Club. It is my honor it is my honor when I see her post up pictures. And I want to speak this to you right now. Will you just come up here with Jackie? I want to pray for you as we get ready to close. I saw you guys put up a post that said, we didn't have a lot, but the ones we had were, were fun or whatever. You know what post I'm talking about? I don't want you guys ever to talk about numbers again. Okay? I want you to put up those pictures and be proud of who comes to that school club. Would you just raise up your hands? Let's get a few of our deacon sisters around, our elders to pray for them. We're going to pray for Taft right now, this school club, Prophet to the Nations. If you're a student from Taft and you're in this club, come up quickly right now. We'll pray for you. In the name of Jesus, we pray for this club to be awesome. 
It's not our job to win a popularity contest at Taft High School. It's our job, though, to bring the word. And I thank you for Cielo being a senior, leading up a Christian club at her school. This is not just a matter of talk. This is of power in the name of Jesus. All my other high school clubs, we have four of them. Come up quickly. Come up quickly if you're at the Shures Club. Come up quickly if you're at the other ones. I want to pray for you right now. What club are you at, Melody? What club? Chosen generation. What school is it at? Aspido, raise up your hands. Aspido, we pray for this school in the name of Jesus. We pray for Aspido right now to have the power of the Holy Spirit where Melody's a senior at. We pray for this club to be successful. We're not just upset with young people. We're not just complaining. We're loving them. We're reaching out to them. We're sending our best to them to be prophets to the nations. To the nations. Shores High School, be changed in Jesus' name. Jason, you were just testifying about a young person getting saved at school, right? What was his name? The young person you were testifying about that got saved, what was his name? Angel. Angel. Was it at school? Let's pray for him right now. Lord, we lift up Shores Club. We lift up Angel, this young man who gave his heart to Jesus. Right now, Lord, do it. Do it. I want every life group leader to come up around these students right now. We have life groups all throughout the city. Come quickly. If you are a leader at one of these life groups, because I know I can't pray for everybody, I want the leaders to come up. In the name of Jesus. Adam, let me pray for Logan. And Ricky, stand with Adam, please. Squad life group in Humble Park area right now. Let's pray for Humble Park, church. Come on. Humble Park, it's time. It is time to accept Jesus. It's time to love him. We pray for Humble Park Squad Life Group to grow and increase. We pray for lives to change in the name of Jesus. We pray for Logan Square. We pray for all the hipsters. Come on, we lift them up in the name of Jesus. All the educated, all the wealthy, all the movers and shakers, the business owners, the professionals, be saved in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus, in Jesus' name, we pray for the Portage Park Gathering Life Group. We pray for it to reach its community all around this area. Let's pray for Portage Park, all the families, all the children, in Jesus' name, in the name of Jesus. Woo! I feel the Holy Spirit up here today. I pray for our Spanish Bible study. Come on up here, hermano Rosa. I pray for the Spanish Bible study here at Reese Park area. Come on, we pray for this Bible study to reach the Reese Park community. In the name of Jesus, we pray for the fuego de Dios to come. We pray, God, for those who came here to this country for a better life, for them to find hope in you, Jesus, for them not to lose their way, oh God for you to give them your word, oh God. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, every nation, every tribe, every language, come.